turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning, and I entitled the message, We Walk by Faith, But We Could Trust in God's Word. And it's good for us as a church and as a people, it's good to look back, always good to look back at the past, it's good to examine the present, and it's always good to look to the future. And as Christians, as a church, and what the church is, is just a bunch of people gathered in His name. So you guys are the church, it's not the building. So as the church, we're called to follow the teachings of Christ as He directed His disciples in what is called the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19, Uh, God told the Lord Jesus told his disciples to make disciples. So as a church, we should be a learning people and a growing in grace in the knowledge of God through the apostles doctrine. And in the book of the history book, which is called the book of Acts, the early church, we have we see as we look back, we see a group of believers, these Ordinary people were empowered by God. They were inspired by God through the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And nothing's changed. It's still the same. The only, the only thing that changes is time. So sometimes we, we could view ourselves in a certain way. And, and even as a church, as a people, we have a view of ourselves in, in a different light. You know, I was at the at Costco the other day, and I'll, I'll tell you the story in a minute. But sometimes we we look at people, and we we see them maybe they're fit or they're very healthy looking, or, and, and we ask them the question, you know, what's the recipe? What what are you doing? What's your method? You know, what steps are you taking to get those kind of results? Uh, you know, we we ask them what's working. You know, because something's working in you, and I, and I think I need that. And they'll say diet and exercise, diet and exercise. You know, we diet and exercise. So I was at Costco yesterday or Friday morning. Uh, I was at Costco, and I saw a, a lady from church here who used to go here, and I used to work with her because I used to work for Costco. And I walked in there and she saw me and, you know, I think I'm a pretty fit guy. I work out I do martial arts. I do all kinds of things to try to work on my diet. I think I'm pretty fit. And I walk in there and she goes, man, are you okay? You look good. You look sickly. You know, I was like, wow, man, here I'm like, I think I'm one way. And I was like, okay. So I went home, took a look in the mirror I better shave, I better comb my hair. So, you know, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, the, the church was spiritually healthy. They were spiritually healthy. It, it was a fit church, but it was a church that had its problems as well, as all churches will. But they were thriving. This church in the book of Acts was thriving spiritually. And they're... What, what caused them to thrive was their daily diet of reading God's word, reading God's word and praying 
and fellowship. And I don't mean fellowship in a sense like, hey, let's all go to the movies. No, I'm talking about fellowship of being around people who will encourage you in the word, who will, who will share truth with you and will edify your life in the word of God. And communion, they were taking communion. They were examining their lives. They were thinking about the resurrection, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And they were waiting with expectancy for Jesus to come. So that was their recipe. That's where the Holy Spirit was moving in their lives. You see, they simply submitted to these principles and they flourished spiritually. You see, we can, we can also flourish spiritually as we, the church, surrenders our lives and yield ourselves also to these same principles. But over time, what happens is over time, these principles that were taught in this church, the principles... Um, that a uh, biblical principles, if, if we take if we don't follow these biblical principles, we're going to drift away. Hebrews chapter uh, two and verse one says these things. And at this time, this church uh, in Corinth, as well as the modern church, as we leave these principles of the word of God and prayer and fellowship and communion, we will tend to drift. So we see this church here in Corinth embrace some worldly habits where, where Paul had to deal with, with a lot of habits that were creeping into the church. Carnal pursuits, carnal appetites, bad ungodly attitudes, and some unbiblical practices were practiced by the church as they are today. That's why we need to be in the Word. And due to these unbiblical practices and attitudes that are unbiblical the church here in second corinthians chapter 5 was plagued with anxiety and misdirection in their mission you see they 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 suffered from anxiety but they also in their mission they were off course in the first half of this chapter paul under the inspiration of the holy spirit was addressing their anxiety and their anxiety was what happens when a believer dies? What happens to a believer when he dies? And still today, many professing believers are very afraid of death. So let's take a look. Let's read verses one through eight. Paul writes, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body 
and to be present with the Lord. So here Paul was addressing a contrast here as he did in the previous chapter. Uh, He was making a contrast between the physical you and the spiritual you. To the believer, there is a spiritual you and a, a, a physical you. You know there's a physical you, but there's an eternal you. Uh, to the believer, there's three of you. <laughs> okay, and I'll get to that in a little while. Uh, you're, you're, you're created body and soul as, a, as you were born. But as a believer, you're triune. You're a lesser trinity, body, soul, and spirit, the believer. But Paul was addressing a contrast between the different. He first compares it to an earthly house here in the text. A earthly house, a tent, which is a temporary structure. A temporary structure that will one day, he says, will be destroyed. And the the Greek word is to be dissolved. You see here, Paul was speaking truth in a loving way. That this house, this body that you have, is a temporary structure. But he says, fear not. Fear not, believer. For God is going to provide you a building as a replacement. He's going to provide you a superior and eternal structure, as he says here. It it says, a house not made with, with hands. A supernatural body. Eternal in the heavens. You know, I have to think of the resurrection. Remember, Jesus came, he died. And after three days, he rose again and he had this body. This body, he said he was going to eat with them in the kingdom, right? Uh, he, they could touch him. You know, the doors were locked and he goes in the rooms. And what happens, you know, after, you know, in the book of Acts, the first chapter, he goes up into heaven, he flies So, you know, the body that the believer is going to receive is a supernatural uh, body, eternal body. So be comforted, church. God is going to give you a body that is fit and built for your new heavenly environment, a new heavenly environment. Because the Bible tells us flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, it is spiritual. Heaven is in a spiritual state. So one has to have a spiritual raiment to enter in. So be comforted, church. The body that God is going to give you is built and fit for your heavenly environment. You see, we walk by faith, but we're trusting in God's word. And that gives us confidence. God's word can be trusted. How do I know God's word could be trusted? We have over 300 prophecies concerning Jesus Christ first coming alone. You read Genesis all the way to Malachi, all the prophecies, you know, where Jesus is going to be born. Micah 5, 2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. How he was going to minister. We have Isaiah, great details of he's going to be preaching the gospel, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, healing the lepers. We have great details of when he's coming back into Jerusalem to be proclaimed the son of David. We see that in Daniel chapter 9. We have great prophecies of of Psalms chapter 22 and says that they were going to pierce his hands and feet. They were going to watch. They were going to gamble for his clothes. They were going to watch on him as they pierced him. Very vivid details. Isaiah 53 uh, 53 gives graphic details 
to the, cru- the, the pre-crucifixion and the crucifixion of Christ. So we have these amazing details of prophecy that gives validity to the things that we could be assured of. The things that the Bible says ha- were going to happen, happen in great detail. So we could put our confidence and trust in that. And so when God is telling us he's going to give us a new body, we can trust in that fact. You see, we don't know the date of our death. No one's promised tomorrow. But it's going to happen. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. It's appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. So here in the text, it seems clear that, that uh, the Apostle Paul was painting a picture uh, trying to teach these worried believers when it came to their death, to be ready, to be unworried. But here in verses 2 through 5, Paul used words like groan and clothing and to be naked and to, to be taken out of context. It could sound weird. It could sound weird, oh, naked and clothed and, you know, uh, groaning. It just sounds weird. But to fully understand the full picture of what Paul is presenting here, we got to have a good biblical panoramic view of the whole thing. We have to step back and take a look. What is the Bible talking about? So it's good to look back. As I mentioned before, it's good to look back and we're going to look back at Genesis. It's good to examine uh, the present, what was going on and the Gospels in, in the time of Jesus. And it's good to look at the future of what God is says, what God says is going to happen. And so we're going to look at the book of Revelations. Going back to going back to Genesis, remember when Adam and Eve are in the garden and God said, you know, don't eat the fruit in the day you eat of it. You will surely die. You will surely, surely die. In Genesis chapter one and verse 26, the Bible tells us we are created in God's likeness. And we know God from the scriptures is triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If God created man in his, in his image, he is a lesser trinity before the fall. Body, soul, and spirit. So on the day they ate the fruit, they died spiritually, what is called the fall. And verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3 says, when, right before that, in Genesis chapter 2, it says that the man of God, God created the man and he was very good, Adam and Eve, and they were naked and they were unashamed. Perfect holiness, and they were naked. But something happened in Genesis chapter 3 where they eat the fruit and the Bible says, and their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made aprons and they covered themselves because they were ashamed. But God said this wasn't good enough. Something's wrong. What you're covering is not good enough. And in verse 21 of Genesis chapter uh, 3 It says to Adam and his wife, the Lord made coats of skin and he clothed them. God himself clothed them. They tried to clothe themselves, but God said this wasn't good enough. So God did a sacrifice. He sacrificed the, the animal. 
And he clothed them so that they could be in his presence. And that is a type of Jesus Christ. His, his, his life, his life, he sacrificed for our covering so that we may enter, enter into heaven. So God clothed them. Remember in Luke chapter 8 and verse 27, after Jesus was feeding the 5,000 and then he had a whole full night of ministry and then he tells his disciples to go to the other side and then he meets them in the middle of the sea, he's walking on the water and they're afraid and he gets in the boat and they go to the other side and there's a man who's demon possessed in Luke chapter 8 and verse 27. It says that Jesus stepped onto the land And there was a certain man in the city who had been demon-possessed for a long time, and he was without clothes, and he was living in the tombs. But the Bible says that Jesus went over there and he healed them. And it says that they all went to see what Jesus had done, and they found the man who was demon-possessed sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he was clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So Jesus, when one comes to Jesus, Jesus will clothe you and put you in the right state of mind. But remember also Jesus talking about clothing. Uh, Jesus was talking about in the Gospels about the kingdom of heaven. He said a king had a great wedding feast and he invited all the guests, all the guests. But one particular guest did not have the right attire. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 12, it says, Jesus told the story and he says, Friend, why did you come here without your wedding garment? And the guest was speechless. And the king said to his servants, he said, Go and he bind him, take him, uh, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen again he didn't have the spiritual raiment to enter into heaven he needed a clothing also in the book of revelations going to the future jesus again speaking about being clothed with a heavenly attire in revelations chapter 3 in verse 17, again, remember how I went to Costco and I perceived myself a certain way and then somebody saw me and they said, man, you look sickly. You know, uh, you know, a lot of times even the church, even we can have that perspective of ourselves. Je- Jesus here in Revelations, listen, Revelations chapter 3, verse 17, because he was speaking to a lukewarm church. Jesus speaking to a lukewarm church said, they, they saw themselves as rich. And Jesus said, you say that you are rich and wealthy and have need of nothing. And then Jesus says, don't you know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? And then Jesus says, I counsel you to buy gold refined with fire, that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And then he says, as many as I love, I rebuke. In other words, I'm going to correct you when you're wrong and I chasten. And then Jesus says, be zealous and repent. Turn. Turn from what you think to what I think. 
Because he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And then, and then the last part of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, verse 14. We see the saints after uh, Jesus comes the second time. We're going to be with him. And he says, those who return with the Lord will, will be clothed in white linen. In white linen, we will be clothed. But here in 2 Corinthians, and verse 4, it says to these believers, we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that this mortality may be swallowed up by life. And it says in verse 5, now he who has prepared this for us, this very thing for us is God who has also given us a spirit, a guarantee. So I got to ask myself as a believer, you have to ask yourself, am I clothed with a spiritual raiment? Am I filled with his Holy Spirit? Am I ready for heaven? Because we remember in John chapter 3, in verses 3, that Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born again, Speaking of the Holy Spirit, you will not enter or see the kingdom of God. Very heavy. I have to ask myself, am I born again? Am I close spiritually so that I can enter in? So those who are born again will experience a desire desire to be with the Lord. Where we groan earnestly for the full effect because we are still here. We don't feel the full effects of salvation until we step into eternity. But in this time, we're still going to be burdened by the effects and the struggles of temptation and trials and difficulties. Why? Because we still have this temporary, temporal body. We still, so that's where Paul is saying we still we mourn. But here in chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Well, what guarantees me that I do have my raiment? Well, you know what God calls us to do is to repent. Repent because we are sinners. We miss the mark of moral perfection. We need to repent and put our faith and trust in him. And by putting our faith and trust in him, he will give us new life. This new clothing, we'll have this raiment ready for our new habitation. And it says here, God has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. So to those who are born again, uh, believers, Paul here says in verse six, in verse six, So we are always confident knowing that while we are home in these bodies, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You see, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Okay, It's talking about in the sense of us physically not being in the presence of the Lord. One day we're going to step into eternity and we're going to see him. Uh, Revelation chapter 5 says that we're going to see him and we're going to see the scars that he bore for us. 
He's forever going to have the scars. The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars of Christ and why he, the pain he, he, he was inflicted for us. They bear his love. But it says that we are confident. Are we confident this morning? Am I ready for eternity? But verse 9 here says, Therefore, believers, we make it our aim, whether it be present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. So this is the way we should live. I need to walk, and it should be my aim, my desire to be well-pleasing to God. How do I become pleasing to God? I walk in His ways. I read His Word. I let Him transform me. I have a relationship with Him. I give myself to Him. Therefore, we as a church, you as a believer, should make it your aim to be pleasing to God. Why? Verse 10 here says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Okay, we are, as believers, we will... Uh, be judged but we will be judged not for our sin but for our motive okay we will be judged we are going to give an account uh even james chapter 3 verses 1 it says those who teach will will have a stricter judgment and this is called the bema seat of christ okay you guys going to be judged for your motive you know how what kind of husband i am what kind of child i am what kind of wife i am what kind of pastor i am what kind of you know, you fill in the blank who you are. You know, we're going to be judged according to that. But we're not going to be judged for our sins. That is the white throne judgment. Our sins were paid on the cross. But here in verse 11 shows us as believers, we are clothed. We are clothed. And we should be concerned for those in our familiar circles, in our environments around us, who are unsaved and unclothed. I think about my loved ones. You know, no one's promised tomorrow. Our family members who are unclothed, who are not ready, who are unsaved, who are not born again. We have to be concerned. Verse 11 says here, Knowing, in light of all that, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We should be concerned. We should persuade them. And God wants to use us to do it. But the second part, it says, but we are well known to God, and I trust are well known in our consciences. So we persuade men. God knows us. We can't fool God. God knows us. He knows if we're going through the motions. He knows if we're just playing church. Our conscience should bear witness of it. That we miss the mark. We're not where we should be. Jesus even warned in Matthew chapter 7 verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom. They said, well, didn't we do all these things, Lord? And didn't we do this? And he says, I never knew you. And you practice lawlessness. So two things, relationship, 
I need to have a relationship with the Lord. Am I talking with Him? Am I walking with Him? Am I having fellowship with Him? Am I worshiping Him? And number two, am I practicing lawlessness? Lawlessness is the word, is a, land in, is, is a line in the sand, and I continually step over. I know it's wrong, and I'm doing it anyway. I'm willfully stepping over. That's lawlessness. So our conscience should bear witness. And where we are, we, sometimes we need to repent. But we're called to understand that those who are unclothed will face the terror and the wrath of God. And we need to be concerned. So we need to persuade men. We need to be right with the Lord because He knows us and our conscience bearing witness with us. So we, sometimes we need to get right with God. And verse 12 says, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Again, you know, here Paul was talking about we could have an appearance of, of righteousness or appearance of spirituality, but it, there's nothing here in the heart. You see, there's that spiritual inward uh, adornment, arraignment through a work of God. But here in verse 12, Paul was not boasting in his work, nor pointing to the fact, but he was pointing to the fact that God does work in people. And God wants to work in your life. And God wants to use your life. And we could boast in that. We could boast in the fact that God will work in his people as we yield ourselves to him. See, because we can often put too much credit in somebody in their work. And we could say it's, it's them doing the work. And we give glory to a person instead of glory to God. And we have to be very careful that we don't do that because it's a very dangerous thing. But here in verse 13, it says, for, we, for if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. So in the first part, Paul was saying is some people might think you're crazy. They thought he was besides himself. Man, you guys are a bunch of crazies thinking this. They thought Paul was beside himself. But he says, if we are of sound mind, it is for you. So, in, in other words, Paul was teaching sound doctrine and it benefited them. Because sound doctrine always benefits the believer. You see, it's not about the, a great listening to a great orator. You guys could listen to a great sermon or a charismatic teacher, or, you know, get caught up in spectacular emotional venues that have a spiritual tone. But if it isn't sound in doctrine, it isn't doing nothing. It's just filling my, uh, my physical senses. Sound doctrine. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in the Apostles' doctrine. We see this in Acts chapter... It was... Paul here was saying... If we're of a sound mind, it is for you. It's for your benefit. So sound teaching is for the benefit of you. You need to be under sound teaching, but you need to be in the Word to check out and make sure it's sound teaching. 
We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, Romans chapter 6, verse 17. We have to be careful of sound doctrine. Romans 16, 17. He says, I beseech you, brethren, to mark those who cause division and cause offenses, which is contrary to sound doctrine, which you have learned, and avoid them. What somebody's teaching, I got to look. Is it biblical? And if it's not, I got to avoid them. Avoid them. Also, Ephesians 4, 14, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, and 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, for all scripture, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, is, is given by inspiration for God and is profitable. See, the Bible, biblical teaching is profitable for you. And it says for Reproof for correction, for instruction and righteousness that the man and the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul was saying, some might think you're beside yourself, but being of a sound mind benefits and encourages the church. But here in verse 14, it says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That one died for all, then all died. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So again, what's our motive uh, of ministry or sharing our faith is the love of Christ compels us. Another version puts it uh, a little bit like this. Since we believe that Christ, the one, capital O there, uh, died for all, we also believe that we all died to our old life. In other words, we need to, you know, we came to the Lord. We gave our lives to him. He's given us a, a new life. We need to bury that old man back in the grave. We, we, he's dead. I need to live for Christ, as Romans chapter six, verse 11 says that we reckon the old man dead uh, in sin, but we're alive in God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So one of the things we got to ask ourselves, are we rapture ready? Are we rapture ready? The, the Lord can come at any moment, but am I ready? Am I living as Jesus? We're going to come at this very moment because he might. I need to be ready. We need to, we as a church, need, as a believers, need to walk continually in his word and in his ways. Here in verse 16, it says, from, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. You see, we need to be careful not to evaluate others by human standards. See, God sees from a different perspective. God doesn't see how we see. God sees the heart. You know, but here, even Paul at one time saw Christ in a different view. Paul saw Christ in a different view. At one time, Paul viewed Christ as merely a man who stood to oppose him in his pursuits. Sometimes we could see Christ as somebody who's 
who wants to keep me from enjoying life, from enjoying my pursuits. You see, he, he always knows better. But Paul had this idea of Jesus, and he opposed him. But how differently Paul now sees Jesus. Paul now sees Jesus as God in human flesh. The only way of salvation. And in here in verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and and behold, all things have become new. And I love this. I'm not the man I used to be. Why? Because I I gave my life to the Lord. That guy's dead. I need to leave him in the grave. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Jesus is a new creation. In Christ. But verse 18 explains, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That word uh, reconciled us to himself through Christ that word reconcile is a accounting term. It's an accounting term to change or to exchange for to give coins. Let's say I have a, a, some coins here and I'm going to exchange them for an equivalent value. OK, our sins are many. Our sins are great. And somebody has to pay for those sins. Our sin, the, the judgment of sin is eternity. In hell. So the payment has to be eternal. Equivalent in value. And, and that's why God himself put on skin. To die for your, your sin. So that it could be equal justice. The equivalent. God himself. Through Christ. Was reconciling the world to himself. And he has also given us the ministry of. Of reconciliation but god put on human flesh we see this in john chapter 1 verses 12 13 and 14 but verse 19 says that is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them okay what does that mean okay when we're sinners we miss the mark of moral perfection we we've sinned we've accumulated debt Every time we sin, it was put to a, a, an account. Debt. Okay, judgment's coming. Judgment, judgment. Okay, every time I sin, it goes into your account. It goes to your account. Okay? But Jesus dies for our sin. Our sin is placed upon Christ on the cross. He dies for our sin. He pays it in full. He says to tell us die. Paid in full. And his righteousness is put to my account. That's why I could go to heaven because of his righteousness. Not because I'm a good person. Because we're not. We fall short of God's standard. So God not imputing their trespasses to them. But he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So by our own raiment, by our own standard, we are sinners. We miss the mark of moral perfection. On our own righteousness or religion can't save us. Just like Adam and Eve. We can't cover. We can't work for heaven. We can't do good. So much good to go to heaven. We're undeserving. That's why God himself had to be a sacrifice for our sins. 
That's why he was tortured for your and my sins. That if we would repent and put our faith and trust in him, we could have new life and eternal life. And then he clothes us with his raiment. He puts his righteousness to our account so that when we die as believers, we stand before the presence of God completely clean and righteous because of Christ's righteousness. He's imputed it to our account. He put it in our account. And that's good news. That's good news. But he, the second part, he's, he has committed to us. Who's us? The church. That's you and me. Not just your pastor, not just your leaders. You, he's committed to your trust. The word of reconciliation. So he took our place on the cross and we in turn, God is calling us to, what was he doing here for three and a half years? He was preaching the gospel. He was ministering. Now God is calling you, church, you, not just your pastors, you, to preach the good news. He took your place. Now you're taking his place. I'm going to preach the good news. I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to minister to people. That is, God has given us the gospel to share the good news with people. Why? He doesn't want anyone to perish and he wants to use you. So we in turn preach Christ as God has committed to us, the church, you, the church, the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, now then we, speaking of you guys and me, we are ambassadors for Christ. And this is beautiful. As though God were pleading through us. Man, I, I, want, I want, we're to be ambassadors for Christ, diplomats diplomats for god pleading with people on god's behalf to to be reconciled with god you know i think of my family i think of my the, my former co-workers and and those in my familiar circles we plead with them as though god were pleading through us you know take that Think about that. Is God, am I doing that? And I need to pray, Lord, help me to do that. Help me to plead with people and implore you on God's behalf, on Christ's behalf, to be reconciled with God. God will open, give you opportunities. Pray to be equipped. In verse 21, he says, For he who made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Of God in him. So God took our place. Jesus stood on our behalf. And now he's calling us. To be his ambassadors. His diplomats. For him. You see we walk by faith. We walk by faith. But trusting God's word. Will give us confidence. So I want to encourage you to be in the word. Be in prayer. Take these things to heart. You see, we have a guarantee that one day we are going to receive a new body. One that's eternal, uncorrupted, one that's superior. I want to boast in the work that God does in you. You know, God wants to do a work in your life. We just need to yield to him. And then, and then when he does, I want to say, Lord, awesome, awesome. 
Give glory for what you do in my life. God wants to use you. We need to depend, as Christians, we need to depend on, on the continued work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, as Christians, we need to submit to the Lord and abandon the dead carcass of our old life. Take off that old raiment, that sin nature, die to sin, and live for His glory. That's what God is calling us to do, to be useful in His hands. And we need to pray that we would know God's message clearly. And when we do, it will give us confidence. So be in the Word. I encourage you, get in the Gospels. Read through the Bible. Ask the work of the Holy Spirit that God would transform you and encourage you and use your life because He's calling you. So take a look at the... You have a past. You walked in here. That's your past. Examine the present. Where am I now with the Lord? Where am I now with the Lord? And look to the future. I want to be empowered by God. I want to be useful for God. I want to, I want to trust you, Lord, with my life because time is precious. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Neither is my family. I want to, I want to be God's ambassador and implore people to get right with God. And you know what? He will help you. He will give you His Word. He will give you the Holy Spirit. We just need to yield with Him. And you see, that's the church's greatest mission. The greatest mission. God has called us to proclaim the good news to the lost and to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. Father, we thank you that you teach us through sound doctrine, Lord, so that we wouldn't have anxieties, that we wouldn't have worry, that we could trust your word, Lord. We trust in what you say, Lord, and give us confidence. We pray, Lord, as we look to the past, as we look through the word, and we examine the presence of our lives in the, in the present, in your presence, Lord, if we examine ourselves, where are we, Lord? Are we clothed? Father, those who are not clothed here, Lord, Father, may they recognize their state. If they were to die today, Lord, show them that today would be the day of salvation, to, today that they would hear your voice and that they wouldn't harden their hearts and that they would come to saving faith this morning. And Father, to the believer, we pray for our own hearts, Lord, that we would get on track with you. that we would walk in your word and that we would trust your word and the work of your spirit, Lord, and that we would be a people who say, have your way, use me, be glorified. Father, that we would boast in each other, Lord, of, of the work of your spirit that you're doing in each one. So, Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the text, Lord. I ask that you would bless, Lord, and Father, I, I pray, Lord, as we worship, that you would speak to hearts. Father, if, if there's anyone here who does not know you or who's not ready for eternity, Father, as the worship team plays, I pray that if God has spoken to you, that you would, after the song, I'm going to make a, 
you come down and we'll say a simple prayer of faith. As you recognize you missed the mark, you're a sinner and you need a, you need a Savior. That's the greatest miracle. You see, God is willing to minister to your heart, but you have to take the first step. He's not going to force you. So if you don't know the Lord, if you're not right with the Lord, and the Lord is showing you through your conscience you need to get right, this is, this is that time. So as a worship team plays, you come, and we'll say a simple prayer of faith. Let's worship.